The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. I will not wear the mask. I will not wear a mask. I will not get the vaccine. I will not get the vaccine. And I will not get the vaccine. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust and I will not be afraid. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day. For the Lord is the great God, and the great King above all. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked chime? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of this I hate the work of those who follow it. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall stand. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmony sound. For you, O Lord, have made me glad through your works. I will you, triumph in the works of your are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. I will defy tyrants. I will defy tyrants. I will defy tyrants. I will defy tyrants. I will defy time. And good day, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the Burt Ruckers that are here in the house, and anybody else I may have missed, to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsofLibertyRadio.com and also SonsofLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right, you can see the face that's made for radio, head over to SonsofLibertyMedia.com and you'll see two images there, two videos at the top of the screen. And again, I said we're live. We are live at the moment, but this is pre-recorded. The one on the left is Bradley's show from the previous day. So you can catch that up until 3 o'clock Eastern today if you want to do so, at which time he'll be live in that little area. And on the right side is where we are. It should look a little different than what it does on the video platform right now. But just hit the play button, blow it up on whatever device you've got, and then look in the bottom right-hand corner at the for the rumble icon. 
and click on that. Join us in the chat on Rumble. We are streaming live to Rumble as well. Sons of Liberty Radio Live is the channel. Please subscribe to that. Also, before it's news.com, top of the page, uh, dlive.tv at the Sons of Liberty, a variety of Facebook pages that carry my name, both personal and public. And then also Twitter, if you're on Twitter and you want to watch the show there, go to the Real Tim Brow, leave out the N and put a two. Okay, so the Real Tim Brow two, and uh, you'll get me on Twitter and then the Real Tim Brown on Twitch, and that covers all of our platforms. And while you're over at sonslibertymedia.com, there is a place where you can sign up for our email newsletter. You get one of those a day. They go out between seven and eight o'clock Eastern uh, every day of the week. And then, um, if you want our ministry email, go to sonsoflibertyradio.com. You can sign up for that on the front page, and that'll tell you everything that's going on in the ministry for that week. Also, there's a donate button at the top of the page of sonsoflibertymedia.com. Click on that and make a one-time donation. If you if you agree with our message, you want to support us, you want to help keep us out there, we ask for that uh, that you would consider supporting us. And then if you would like to do that on a monthly basis as a son or daughter of liberty, that link is also available. This week we are highlighting in our store... The Resistance to Tyranny is Obedience to God t-shirts, referencing Romans 12, 21. These come in blue, and they come in red. And these are normally $20 donation this week only through Saturday at midnight. The donation has been knocked down to $18. Of course, if you get one that's a little bit larger, like a double X or triple X large, that costs a few dollars more, whatever. But that, that price is good through Saturday at midnight with no promo code. So if you've been looking to get one of these shirts, and they really are nice shirts and great conversation starters, Now's the time. Through Saturday at midnight, you can get it for a donation of $18. Now, we've got a special guest on. We've had him on the show before. And, uh, you know, you guys know that um, probably of the course maybe of the past year or two, uh, all my days run together, so I'm guessing at that. It may be longer or whatever. Uh, I've really been emphasizing the issue that we need to do one of two things. We need to come together as the states and abolish D.C., or we need to come together as each our individual countries, our individual states, and we need to secede. And I apologize, we have some people in the house this morning because it was pre-recording. But so if you hear a little family stuff, just uh, bear with us. Um, but one of the things is we've been talking about secession, and everybody goes, "Oh, well, that's been tried before, and it was put down, and that won't work, and blah 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 blah." And then we've had several shows where we've talked about how secession is the biblical answer or the biblical remedy God gives us. You know, for dealing with even within um, you know certain things that happen within a marriage, say the, an unfaithfulness or a, um, uh, 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 an abandonment or something like this, there, there are remedies for that. And he also gives it to the church. He calls on the people to come out of her, the the wicked apostate church. He calls them to come out of there. That is a remedy for that. And so I got to think, and I thought, well, who better could give us some lessons this morning on things that probably most of us have not learned from the War of Northern Aggression, and that is from what we've been taught or indoctrinated as the Civil War, than Pastor John Weaver out of Georgia. And so it's my privilege to welcome back to the Sons of Liberty, Pastor John Weaver. Good morning, sir. Well, good morning, and it's good to be with you again, my brother. Absolutely, absolutely, and and I'm glad you could come on, and I just want you to know, John is joining us by the phone because he's still old school. He he says, I have no idea how to how to work any of that stuff <laughs> to get on Zoom or any of that, and that's totally fine because the big deal is what you have to pass on, brother. And just so you know, I grabbed that wonderful picture, and I think it's a wonderful picture, 
uh, from the SPLC. John wears the badge of, of being one of those haters out there. And uh, one of the interesting things I was reading, John, is they they said, uh, <laughs> they quote this guy, uh, Corey Burnell, and here's here's the quote, just so people get it. John Weaver is the quintessential Southern preacher, bringing the whole counsel of God with practical application to every area of life. Uh, he teaches the bi- biblical doctrine of interposition, which we do too, as well as any man, uh, and brings powerful illustrations from American history with touching stories from the First and Second Wars for American independence. And then they, they basically want to attack you for inter- interposition or... Uh, and and going against what what the beast says that uh, must be obeyed as law, and so I thought I'd introduce it, kind of introduce you with that and put that picture up because I think that's great. You know, if it's a poke in the eye to SPLC, I'm happy about that. But I I, I wanted you on the show to kind of talk about some of that. Interposition is probably one of those key things. But what are some lessons that we uh, can no matter what our, the country uh, that we live in, whether that's in Minnesota or South Carolina or Georgia or California, whatever the country is that we actually is, is our homeland. What are some lessons that we can learn, both good and bad, from the War of Northern Aggression? Well, I think everything is really tied together in one sense of the word, but. Uh, I think states' rights would be one of them. And then, of course, I think involved in states' rights, states' rights is indeed the biblical doctrine of secession. And involved in the secession, of course, is self-defense. Involved in all of that would be what you and I would call limited government. In fact, that is the way our country was originally set up. And that is the way things have been basically uh, <laughs> set up to run. We are the ones that have dropped the ball. and. Uh, let me just give you a good illustration of what I'm talking about. Uh, many years ago, I heard a United States attorney from California make this statement. He said, quote, federal law is superior to state law. Now, if that is true, then the states have fallen from being masters to servants. Amen. And there's no way that a state may protect its citizens. So if that United States attorney is correct, no state then can fight unfunded mandates or any mandates. It cannot even make laws for itself that would protect its citizens from federal tyranny, nor can it legislate any laws except those that would be in agreement with federal laws. In other words, the states and the people therein have actually become the slaves then to the federal government. Mm. And so obviously it is uh, what he said is certainly not true. Yeah, and some of the question would be, uh, some people would hear that. So, wait a minute, don't you mean, are you saying that the states shouldn't obey the the U.S. Constitution that they help establish? I don't think you would necessarily say that. You're talking about these these unconstitutional laws that they're they're trying to press on the states, right? Sure. Well, each each state has its own constitution. Yes. But each constitution should be in line according to the federal constitution. The problem we have today is the problem that uh, our founding fathers had back in 1776. Even George III, who had constitutions and compacts with the colonies, he was not keeping those compacts and those constitutions. And uh, in fact, None of the colonies were ever under parliament. Each one had their own legislature. And so consequently, then, uh, 
uh, they were the ones who were, in fact, making void the Constitution, in, just like it is today. So if, if, if the federal government even followed the Constitution, the Constitution limits the federal government. It does not limit it as closely as the Word of God does. But it, if they did follow it, it would certainly, we would not be in most of the problems we're in today. Uh, but just like George III, the Constitution is ignored. The Bible is ignored. Everything is ignored. But the states are, are supposed to be the ones who interpose themselves between um, the, its citizens and a tyrannical federal government. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let me let me ask let me ask this. Let's get the uh, let's get the bad out of the way, if as it were. If there were okay. some things that that people could learn from the war of northern aggression, uh, and I'm I'm saying specifically on the southern side of things. That's just mm -hmm. that's the way I think. Um, what would be some some things that you would point out to say that they we really shouldn't have done this or this or this. Can you point out some things that, that we could learn from that and then make it applicable to today? Uh, well, uh, I suppose there are a number of things that could be, be said. Uh, but let me, let me just mention one thing before we get any further into sure. this. One thing that we must learn and that we must understand is it was the states that created the federal government. The federal government did not create the state. That's right. Therefore, and when the states created a government, it was a federal government, not a national government. And consequently, the federal government was supposed to be the servant, and the states were supposed to be the masters. And uh, we, we, we have fallen uh, so far down, we don't even know our own history. Uh, there was a case back in uh, 1793, and it's called Chisholm versus Georgia. And there was an individual in South Carolina who had a beef with uh, someone in Georgia. Well, it was a state basically of South Carolina facing, uh, uh, versing the state of Georgia. And so the, they appealed to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court... Uh, ordered the state of Georgia in 1793 to appear for adjudication. And uh, the state of Georgia basically said to the Supreme Court, you kiss our foot. You are not the master. We are the master. You're the servant. And we are not going up there. And so the Supreme Court said to the state of Georgia, well, we're going to adjudicate this case with or without you. And it doesn't really matter whether you appear or not. And so the state of Georgia then uh, had a bill passed by the House of Representatives making it a felony punishable by hanging for any person to carry out the Supreme Court's decision in the state of Georgia. So the Georgia state of Georgia said to the Supreme Court, pass all the decisions you want, make all you want, but know this, the man that you send down here to enforce it will be hanged immediately without the benefit of clergy. Consequently, then, the 11th Amendment was passed, uh, correcting all of this stuff. But Georgia said, you're not going to do this to us. And we, we've lost all of those lessons uh, of, of, of independence, of nullification, uh, all, all these truths that, uh, which should be applicable today. We've forgotten them. We've lost them. 
Wow, that's quite that's quite a story right there. Now, just just so I just so we're clear, um, and and so we're we're actually putting something in here with the Constitution in it, just so people understand what that is. The Eleventh Amendment: the judicial power of the United States shall not be construed to extend to any suit in law or equity commenced or prosecuted against one of the United States. Uh, one of the United States by citizens of another state or by citizens or subjects of any foreign state. And so they, you're telling us because the state actually knew the authority it had. And this is something I've said, uh, I said, you know, in, in La La Land where Tim Brown would be governor of South Carolina, uh, I would give 30 days for all federal employees to, to get out, uh, to, to clear out their desk and abandon federal buildings here in the South, in South Carolina. Uh, along with, you know, putting the, the, the feds on notice that we're not going to enforce any more of your unconstitutional laws that you're doing here. And uh, anybody who tries to come do it, we're going to arrest them on it. Uh, Georgia was a yeah. little more strenuous. We're going to hang you for it. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty heavy, Pastor John. Yep, that is a fact. But, but that is why, uh, that is why they, they valued independence back then. In other words, they, in other words uh, our founding fathers took this principle. You do not wait until tyranny gets entrenched. You deal with it at the very first sight of it. And mm, amen. so clearly uh, that's exactly what the state of Georgia was doing back then. Yeah. Yeah. I, boy, had we done that how many years ago? I don't know, 170 years ago, if we'd actually done it uh, and followed it through, we wouldn't be where we are today, I, I would imagine. All right. So, yep, yep. okay. So, so that's something there. Um, what else can we learn from that? Uh, you know, there, there gets to be a lot of argument over what happened at Fort Sumter and the Southern troops firing over there and the guys continuing to op occupy that territory and all of this. And I know there are some things that weren't exactly uh, in the agreement between South Carolina and uh, the feds mm -hmm. as far as how they were going to take care of that land. The feds had not really lived up to that obligation of what they said, and so that was right. some of the basis for why they, they said, you've got to get your guys out of here. And that's why they were willing yeah. to even you know go to the point. Be, I think I think Lincoln sort of lured them into what happened there, but but there was, there was an issue there. Can okay. you help people understand well, how important that is, the issue of land? Uh, in the states and, and what was learned there? Sure. Uh, well, let me mention this. Uh, there are, uh, you, can, you can now get it on CD-ROM, but uh, there, are, there is a huge set of books called The War of Rebellion. Of course, uh, it was named that uh, by the North, that is for sure. But this huge set of volumes uh, has, actually has in it all the orders from the north and the south, everything that transpired, you can, and it's, I forget how many volumes. I mean, it's 16, 20 volumes, and they're all, they're all thick. Oh, it but says 128 we, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so the interesting thing is, uh, when you talk about Fort Sumter, now, Major Anderson was the commander in Fort Sumter, and he was not even supposed to be in Fort Sumter. He, uh, in fact, left the fort, and I forget the name of it. It was not far from there. Uh, fort Sumter uh, was not even uh, completed at that particular time, and he left without permission uh, from, the, uh, from, from the Secretary of War, and he took over um, uh, Fort Sumter. And uh, so uh, that was one thing. And what 
many people do not understand is there was an armistice that existed between the state of South Carolina and even and the United States government, as well as one that existed between Florida and the United States government. Now, an armistice just simply says this, that uh, you're not to increase, you're not to do anything, you're, you're at a standstill. And so South Carolina said, we're not going to build up fortifications. And, uh, and of course, the United States government says, we're not going to try to resupply or build up any fortifications. We're just at a standstill. And so, interestingly, uh, when Major Anderson then wickedly, wrongly, I might add, moved his men into Fort Sumter, which at that time was still the property of South Carolina, uh, and when he moved, the, he went there without without orders from the Secretary of War. And what a lot of people do not know is this, that the state of South Carolina was actually feeding the Union Army because they had nothing, and they were they were supplying the food. And if you read the records, uh, Anderson is thanking uh, the governor for the meat and the eggs and the kind of, and he says, "Well, we lack this and we lack that." And so, uh, so when when you begin to read what happened at the, the, the bombardment, General Beauregard had graciously. Uh, allowed Major Anderson and his men to, to walk away. They could lower their flag. They could eat the flag. And, of course, Anderson refused to do so. And so read the correspondence. It, it's very, very informative because uh, <laughs> Beauregard finally says, well, I will have the honor of opening fire upon Fort Sumter at 12 o'clock, et cetera, you know, and, and of course they they were and they would always sign their dispatches your obedient servant. And and the interesting thing is during the bombardment of, of Fort Sumter, not one man was killed during that bombardment. Now, one of the ammunition dumps was indeed set on fire. And you'll never guess what happened. What yes. happened then when when when, when Major uh, when General Beauregard saw the fire, he stopped firing sent a boat over and asked if he could help put the fire out. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and this is the kind of uh, opening salvo he had. And so when the fire was put out and uh, they finally had to surrender, uh, there was one man killed, but it was not during the war. There was some other explosion. But uh, <laughs> the, uh, the crazy thing is all of this happened when Lincoln, of course, uh, violated the armistice and began sending in ships to refortify Fort Sumter. That is why Beauregard opened fire because Lincoln was violating the armistice and he knew that if Major Anderson got all that uh, equipment and all the provisions, then it would be over. And of course, all Lincoln was interested in was keeping the port open so that he could uh, get his tariffs, get his taxes. Is what it amounts to. But uh, so once once again, when you read the original records, it's absolutely astounding how uh, gracious these enemies were to each other. Oh yeah, they were they they were definitely gentlemen at the time. I mean, there's there's no question about that. But th now, how would we apply that today? I mean, we're seeing guys who come in. 
Um, it, it, it sickens me to the core when they had uh, somebody like Donald Trump come in and go, oh, you know, he's the greatest president since Lincoln, or he, for him, he's the greatest president that's ever been. Uh, but they, they always appealed to Lincoln as some kind of great president, I guess, because, quote unquote, he kept the union together. And it's not really like that. He sort of forced it together. Um, and and was really a tyrant, and I don't think the the people understand that. How can we relate that today to what we're dealing with? I mean, it seems to me that many people are fast asleep, that they're unwilling to even get out and and make a protest, let alone you know arm themselves against tyrants. Uh, they'll talk mm-hmm. big about the Second Amendment, but they leave away the the militia, which I, I want to get to as well. Uh, but they'll do these kind of things. How does that speak to us today, that lesson from history of how these men were willing to treat their alleged enemies here uh, in what they were doing? Well, you know, there was a biblical principle involved in that, because even back in Deuteronomy, I think it is chapter 20, uh, God said when you made war against an enemy, yeah, you issue you terms of peace. Off, then, yeah, then you offer a, a terms of peace. And if they accept the terms, then fine, that's wonderful. If they don't, then God says you make war against them. So uh, clearly, Beauregard did exactly that to Anderson. He, he, he offered peace. He offered to let him take the flag down and, and walk away honorably. In other words, he was not trying to hold it over him. But there was also a determination to fight. There was a willingness to fight. There was an understanding of principles. So... I think the same thing is applicable today. Those who actually see what is going on, uh, they're the ones who are going to be able to say, look, you may either leave now or you may stop this now or you may change now or else you're going to face the wrath of of, of the individuals uh, or of the people. And, and of course, that wrath can may be, in, be uh, demonstrated in many, many different ways. And uh, I think it'll probably be demonstrated probably this fall. But uh, I'm just simply saying uh, that we don't understand the principles, and therefore we're not willing to fight for the principles. So, you know, uh, if you understand, uh, most people are so absolutely, totally ignorant, not only of the Bible, they're ignorant of the Constitution, they're ignorant of history, they have no idea why our founding fathers thought and why any anyone fault because we're just absolutely ignorant. So a person who will not study history, by the way, let me just break this. Let me just say this right now. Uh, History. If you really want to understand history, history is nothing more than God's eternal decree coming to pass in time. Amen. That is why history is so important. So if you want to understand why God judges a society, why God judges a nation, or why God delivers, or why God supplies, or why God uh, sends his curses, well, then you need to study history, because that is, the, that is indeed the eternal decree of God coming to pass in time. I totally agree. Now, let's apply that. What goes on there in concerning the South, because contrary to indoctrinated opinion, it was not about slavery that all this began. There were other factors that were taking place there. Uh, I would almost say that at the root of it was an envy and a jealousy, even a love of money, as the Bible says, is the root of all evil, uh, from the north towards the south. So those kind of things were going on. But slavery did occur. 
uh, will make the point that no, the South didn't have any slave ships. They weren't engaged in man-stealing or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, and so you, you had that kind of going on. What's the stuff that you see that, that took place that, again, let's make it applicable to the people, say, they obviously saw what Lincoln was going to do, and so they made moves. And, yes, I'm aware that some people in the South Carolina State House even put slavery up front as far as we have to defend this, you know. And, of course, they were talking about they were mentioning states' rights and things of this nature. Yeah. But what's some things that we can draw from that and bring the application here of what you were just speaking about? Okay. Well, let me mention, let me mention one other thing in line of slavery, just to demonstrate the fact that the war was not over slavery, all you have to do is consider the Corinth Amendment, which was passed in March 1861. And the reason they passed that, at that particular time, there was a seven cotton states that had seceded. And so uh, here it was this uh, amendment passed, and I'm just going to read it to you. It's very brief. No, append, no amendment shall be made to the Constitution which will authorize or give to Congress the power to abolish or interfere within any state with the domestic institutions thereof, including that of persons held to labor or service by the laws of said state. So the Corinth Amendment basically said to the seven seceded cotton states, if you will come back into the Union voluntarily, we will pass this amendment. In fact, it was passed. And Abraham Lincoln, by the way, agreed to it that Congress would have no say-so whatsoever over slavery. So if, if slavery was the issue, why in the, world would the, why in the world would the South fight when slavery was being issued and given to you on a silver platter? Yeah. So obviously it was not over slavery. Uh, there were a number of things involved. Uh, first of all, let me just simply say that uh, many of the Southerners viewed this as a religious war. Now, when I say that, you have to remember that most of the North was Unitarian at that particular time. That's not saying there were no Christians in the North. There certainly were. But uh, basically, they were Unitarian. And when you get to men like uh, uh, Thornwell, they said very clearly that the war was a religious war, and uh, it was a war between um, uh, the Jacobins, uh, the French revolutionaries, and, and those of common sense. And, and, and so uh, clearly they viewed it as a religious war. In fact, <laughs> one of the uh, preachers, uh, is, I forget his first name, but his last name was Todd. He happened to be the brother of of Mary Todd, who was the wife of Abraham Lincoln, and he excoriated Lincoln, and he said that Lincoln was Satan himself, and that uh, he was making war against all the Christians in the South. So, so there was that religious aspect, but then there was also the economic aspect. And when you begin to understand that the South provided about 75 to 85% of all the monies that went into the federal government, and most of those monies were being spent in the North on canals, on roadways, and the South was getting absolutely nothing. In fact, that was Lincoln's argument when um, one of the, let's say, I think his name, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, his name is slipping my mind. I think his name may have been uh, Calhoun or something similar to that, not the senator, 
um, he, he was a general. He went to Lincoln and he said, look, this is how we, th- or we can resolve this issue right now. And uh, Lincoln said, let the South go. Let my milk cow go. Abolish these tariffs. And he referred then to the South as its milk cow. So, uh, no. So there was that money issue involved as well. So you, you had all of these issues involved. And, and the point I'm trying to make right now is most Americans have no understanding, number one, of biblical Christianity. They have no understanding of the tax system. They have no understanding of the Federal Reserve and how it works. They have no understanding of the fact that our government has nothing. It borrows everything. And it, <laughs> I'm just simply pointing out the fact we cannot even begin to make a solution until we realize the problem. Well, that's it. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think this is why Bradley stresses so much, um, and and we do it here in the morning too. More so on, I do it more so. Well, I'm not going to say we we both do it in stressing what the Bible says, what the Constitution says, because the Constitution doesn't really apply to me and you. It applies to the people we put we send up to D.C. And it's saying if you guys can't be, if you can't haven't learned to govern yourself to the point where you read those words and say, I'm supposed to stick within this authority. And you go outside of that and you just think everything's hunky dory because you got, I don't know, your mafia buddies, your big pharma sugar daddies or whoever is going to protect you. Uh, and the people are too ignorant to realize the difference that they're, that they're their employees and they've got to bring them to justice over this matter. I mean, what would it be like, John, if we told our representatives, hey, you start pushing these unconstitutional laws and you come back to the state asking for a vote, we're going to catch you and we're going to hang you in the public square. I mean, yeah. how, what, would, what do you think the difference of attitude would be about the, <laughs> then if we started doing things like that? Well, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is uh, 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 back if you, if you would read the 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 coinage act uh let me see if i can get that up uh the the coinage act um they uh, the, the coinage act uh, actually said that if anyone devalued the the coins debased the coins that uh uh, is this a 1792? Yeah, the Coinage Act of 1792. Yeah, yeah. And uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, it, it. Let me see if I. But it actually says uh, that uh, they were to be hanged if they if they devalued the coinage. Well, look look how <laughs> look how many uh, how much everything has been devalued, and we don't Absolutely. understand that. Uh, uh, I I read the other day where Jay Leno had said that uh, he read where Congress was going to try to make um, a coin, uh, $1 coin out of, you know, Federal Reserve note, et cetera. And I understand the definition of a dollar. He said, well, they've already done that. It's a nickel. Well, when you stop stop and think about that, we have have lost so much. It is absolutely... uh, it's unbelievable. When I tell people, my wife and I will soon be married 60 years. When I tell people, I used to give her 10 bucks a week to buy groceries for the both of us. And I would kind of fuss at her a little bit if she didn't bring two or three of it back. 
that meant the two of us could live on six or seven bucks a week. That would be meat, potatoes, milk, bread, everything. <laughs> and when you, when you understand that uh, the first house we bought, the first property, with a, was a double lot, real hardwood floors, the den had real pine paneling in a beautiful section of town, pay $10,000 for it. And my house payment was 73 bucks a month, and that included insurance. <laughs> you, you, know, you can't even walk out of a grocery store now with just a few items without being 100 to 150 bucks. Yep, that's exactly right. So, so we, we, we have no understanding of, of, of gold and silver. We have no understanding of the value of money. Uh, we have no understanding that, uh, that, that the paper that we have is really not money. Uh, and so, it, you know, we, we need to learn. But see, this is what happened when the war began. Do you realize the advantages that the North had? All the banking institutions were in the North. All the industrialization was in the North. The North then also had the armies and the navies. Uh, we, we had in the South, we had nothing. We had to start from scratch. And 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 most of the gold and silver was in the North as well, except what individuals had, because all the banking was there. Because the South was basically agricultural. And then you've got to understand also, there were only about 5 million people in the South, and there was 20-something million in the North. So we were basically outnumbered four to one as well. And when Lincoln asked for 75,000 volunteers for three months, he thought it was just going to be a piece of cake to whip the South. But uh, the amazing thing is, with everything against the South, the South held out for four solid years. And as General John B. Gordon said, we were not whipped. We were just outlasted. Yeah, and, and that's about the truth. Yeah, and, and let's make a let's make a comment here because we've already established that uh, this war is not about slavery. It wasn't about slavery. There were many of those who were slaves who were treated just like family, um, and and sure. they thought of themselves as family. They thought of themselves. They'd become to think of themselves as Southerners. They they you know they'd yeah. been taken from their home. They weren't going to get back there, and so they said, yeah. you know, we're going to do what we're going to do. Many of them actually received the gospel. Uh, they yeah. they began to to learn what it was like as it says in the Old Testament. You know, they're taken out of their land. Uh, these people brought them in, care for them. Yes, they they didn't they didn't uh, what's the word I want to say dehumanize them in the sense they let them work for their for what they had. They made sure they were fed, they were cared for, and all this other. And yeah, I'm sure there were some bad guys who were slave owners just because men are wicked. They they have wicked hearts. There, I'm sure there was that among them. But I've read several accounts. I've even got one on video, if you can believe that. Uh, one of the ladies, I think she was a young girl when, when she was in that and coming out, and she was just speaking about how she was treated like, you know, a family member in the in the home of the, 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 the master. And uh, mm -hmm. I thought, you know, what a beautiful thing. So we've established some of those. It's, many of these people fought in that war of their own volition. Sure. Because they saw what was going on. They understood. They had enough common sense to understand what was going on against their homeland. How come people today, is it because they don't understand the Bible? Is it because they don't understand history? that They, they understand there's a lot of bad stuff that they don't like going on, 
but it hasn't pushed them to the point where they're willing to say, okay, no more. We're not even going to argue with you anymore. If you come try to do this, we're going to put a stop to it. What's yeah. missing here? What's the missing ingredients? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you've already hit the you've already hit the button there. But let me just mention this: since you mentioned slavery, uh, most people have never ever heard and never even read of the slave narratives. The slave narratives were written in 1936 and 1938. It was the Federal Writers Project when all the journalists were were out of work. And so the federal government under Roosevelt had this federal writers project and they interviewed over 2,300 ex-slaves. There were 17 states in which they went. They took photographs. They took uh, the, the, the experiences of these slaves. They wrote them down in the language and in the lingo and there's over 10,000 typewritten pages that were uh, filed in the Library of Congress. And now you can buy the books. And here's the interesting thing. About 75 to 85% of those ex-slaves not only spoke lovingly and kindly of their masters, but they also spoke well of slavery and wanted to go back to those days and and here here is an absolutely astounding uh, uh, quote, uh, and this is uh, this has to do with uh, 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 the actual uh, slavery, and this was done by uh, a fellow who was indeed uh, a scholar. And uh, in fact, there's a whole book dealing with uh, with this issue. Is by uh, uh, Engelman and Fogel, and uh, here's what he said. He said Southern slavery was 36% more efficient than free Northern farms, even though generally the soil in the North is better. Propelled by slavery, the economy in the South grew twice as fast as in the North. Furthermore, most Southern slaves were treated materially well by their owners. The average slave consumed more calories and lived longer than the average white northern city dweller. Contrary to popular myth, slave families were rarely divided up, only about 3%, and slave owners rarely used their slaves for sexual indulgence, with only about 2% of slave births being white, uh, white fathers. So here is a man, now he's been blacklisted by the scholars, but here's a man, Robert Fogel, and uh, they have come up, and the way they came up with this, they studied the plantation records. In other words, this is not hearsay. They took it from black and white, that which was written down. And when you, when you compare what happened in the South with what happened in the North in the Industrial Revolution, when, when the Southern slaves got sick, then the masters had to take care of them. When they got old, they had to take care of them. When you have the Industrial Revolution in the North and you were working women and children 14 and 18 hours a day and they got sick or died, that was just tough. That was on them. The, the industrial uh, industrialists had nothing to do with the sickness or with the death. So I'm just simply saying, yeah, and if you read the uh, slave narratives, you will find out things were a lot different. In fact, Uncle Tom's Cabin was a novel. It was a fiction, and Harriet Beecher Stowe 
never came to the South, never visited a plantation. And all she got was what she heard. And uh, it was, like you say, it was not anything true at all. So, so we, we've got. So, to, John. Got to, so, John, yeah. what you're what you're saying is the real slaves are had already existed in the North. They were just told they were free, kind of like where we are today. And for for to draw a parallel, we're told we're yeah. free, but hey, you got to put this this uh, poison in your body. Hey, you're free, but you can't go in here yeah. without the shot. You hey, you're free, but you got to put a mask on your face. There, it's kind of this. Yeah double speak yeah. kind of orwellian double speak that's going on see we don't understand what freedom is and and like i say uh what the south the south by the way there were more abolitionist societies in the south than there were in the north the difference was this the south did not want to free the slaves until they could be independent until they were trained until they could work themselves and when you get to the north you had abolitionists who uh, some wanted to destroy the country. Uh, some wanted to destroy the Constitution. Some wanted open warfare. That's why the Secret Six has John, sent John Brown to actually begin the war. So uh, when, when you understand this, we, we have no idea what real freedom is. Let me give you an illustration. This happened probably 40 years ago. I was preaching in Virginia, and I was absolutely horrified to find out that here is a pastor's son who was arrested and fined for cutting down a tree on his own property because there was an ordinance there that no one could cut a tree without the permission of the city government. Oh, good grief. Yeah, and that was 40 years ago. And, and like I say, we think that we're free, and you look at the taxes that the people are forced to pay. You look at, the, you look at even the property tax where 90% of the property tax goes to support government education. I, I, you know, it doesn't matter if you're against it or not. So what they've done is, if you don't support what we say, we'll steal your property and you'll sell it and kick you out, and yep. uh, we'll, give it, we'll give it away anyhow. Exactly what it and, is. Yeah, and so it's the same thing. Used to, you had to work at least six months out of the year just to pay taxes. I think now it's probably seven to eight months out of the year when you consider all the taxes. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And when, you, when you're told you cannot travel without certain things being done and without having certain papers on you, that, that, uh, uh, that's not freedom at all. Yeah. I, that's not you know, well, you know, John, you, one of, one thing that you make mention of there is on the land and stuff. Now, we do have a solution for that. Our friend Ron Gibson uh, puts together um, federal land patents for people, which they can then go and they can eliminate those immoral property taxes. I mean, and I know that to be a fact. And you actually own the land. You're not you're not paying it off and then renting it, so to speak, through the tax system. Uh, you can do with it what you want in your land because it's yours now. It's not considered this. Uh, whatever the legal term is they use there, but it's basically you're renting the king's land is what it, that's essentially right. what happens. Right. So the, I know that I know there's a way to overcome some of that, but again, it's it, you're you're giving examples of what it was. You were mentioning the costs of things. I was just talking about this with my boys. We went on a walk yesterday, 
they're trying to get me in, in shape again. I've been sitting in the chair too long. So we were going on a walk, and I, I said, guys, we my, my son was talking about the expense of certain things. Yeah, these houses, they're like two they're sitting there $200,000, but they look like they're like $100,000 worth to me. I said, well, it's probably more like 75 is what the house is actually worth. But I said, this is what inflation does. And I told him I yeah. went out to the store and used to, when they were little, my oldest was little. He's like uh, 25 now. Uh, when he was little, you know, I went in the store, I'd buy that compressed air and you get like two cans of it. And I, it just, for six for five or $6 was a lot of money for me for, for air, you know? Um, I mm. went in the other day and I was just walking around Walmart while I was getting a battery and I was looking two cans now is like 15 bucks. 15 yeah. bucks for air, <laughs> for air. So I understand yeah. what you're saying. And I, I see people see the, the inflation happening, cost of living, everything, but this gets to something. We got about six minutes here. I wonder if you could speak to this as well. This gets to something I think that is uh, important. A friend of mine, Victor Porley, before he died, he was on the show several times. And one of the things he said to me was, he said, if you start with economy, you're starting from a Marxist worldview. If you start with law and justice, you're starting from a biblical point of view. And I know Abraham Lincoln had Marxists in his cabinet. I know there were Marxists there uh, in the South at the time. And my understanding is Robert E. Lee said, hey, if I'd have known what I was really fighting, I would have never surrendered to it. Um, mm. What are we seeing today with that? Because most people don't even have, they don't even have a concept of what real economics are. They, they have this Keynesian sort of view and stuff. And how that impacts freedom, how it impacts their freedom. Because what started to happen was they brought in unlawful money, and unlawful money has what's projected all the rest of this lawlessness that we're seeing now. Yeah. Well, the the point of the matter is uh, when you had the gold and when you had the silver, then they could not inflate it. They could not uh, borrow, you know, because that, that was actually the the substance. And, and when you stop and think today uh, of the fact that uh, most people do not own gold, most people do not have silver, most people do not even know what money is. Now, in fact, when you go to the Bible, when Abraham bought the cave of Machpelah to bury his wife, Sarah, the Bible said he weighed him out the money, current money with the merchants. In other words, he weighed out the silver. In other words, real money is always by weight. And in fact, if you look up the definition of a dollar, a dollar is not a piece of paper. A dollar is a unit of measurement. Yes. It's like a, a quart or a pint or a foot or a peck. So it, it is a measurement of real silver and or gold. That's what a dollar is. And so uh, to give you one quick, clear illustration, years ago, I, my wife and I ate at a restaurant, and I went up to pay the bill, and there was this uh, cute little uh, waitress there, and I looked at her, and I said, I'm in an awful pickle. She said, what is it? I said, well, I've eaten your food, and I don't have any money uh, to pay my bill. Uh, she said, uh, you don't? I said, no. I said, all I have is Federal Reserve notes. She said, well, we don't take those. I said, well, you better call the manager then because that's all I got. And so the manager came up and I explained the situation. I said, I, I offered to pay her in Federal Reserve notes, but she said, uh, uh, you don't take those. He said, that's right, we don't. I, I said, well, 
what am I going to do? And I pulled some out, and the little girl said, that's money. I said, no, this is not money. This is debt. And, uh, and uh, she said, well, why do we call it money? And I explained it to her. And she said, you know, that's the sweetest I've ever been called stupid in my life. (laughs) Now, what year was this, John? (laughs) uh, This is probably 30 years ago. Wow. Wow. Yeah. But the point being, most people have no idea what money is. And they're going to keep taking that paper money until one day the wife is going to say to the man, don't bring any more of that worthless stuff home to me. And uh, let me give you one more quick one. And you'll find this was uh, in, in Germany during the hyperinflation there. I read the story of the woman who was on her way to the bakery to buy a loaf of bread. And she had a wheelbarrow full of Deutschmarks because it was so worthless. And so on the way to the bakery, she saw a fight. And uh, her curiosity was aroused. So she put her wheelbarrow down, kind of moved the people back and forth so she could see who was fighting. When the curiosity was satisfied, she turned around, and all she found was a pile of money on the ground. Someone had stolen the wheelbarrow. Yeah. The wheelbarrow was worth more than the money. Yeah. Yeah, so, I've, I've heard those know. kind of stories about that, uh, of what goes on. Listen, why don't we take? Why don't we do this? Uh, can I hold you over for just a few minutes? I, I really want to sure. talk to you about, you know, where do we go from this? These lessons that we learn, there should be an application of how we – how sure. we present those. I want to hold you sure. over a little bit, but I want to tell people uh, a little bit about where they can they can go and find you and some of your work and things of this nature. And if you want to add something to that, that's great. You can go to johnweaverlibrary.famguardian.org and uh, you, can, you can check him out there. He's also on Sermon Audio. He's also on Facebook at Pastor John Weaver. Uh, you can find him there. And I believe that's all the areas. And you've got a YouTube channel, but I didn't pull that up. Do you want to tell people uh, where, you, where they can find you on YouTube? Yeah. Well, you can go to YouTube or BitChute, but you have to type in the word Jeet Feet, J-E-E-T-F-E-E-T, Jeet Feet. That'll bring up the videos. But sermonaudio.com forward slash Weaver will bring up about a 1,000 sermons. Okay. Uh, uh, historical, theological, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and and I highly recommend uh, people take a listen to to some of, uh, especially some of your historical stuff. Uh, the, the I think we talked briefly the last time you were on the show about Nathan Bedford Forrest, and uh, you know that one was such a tremendous story. Uh, what a what a gracious God to take a man like that. I mean, the Southern guys were pretty much gentlemen anyway for large, large what we would think of gentlemen. But to take a guy like that, to transform him for the glory of God is incredible. Guys, hang with us. We're going to be with uh, Pastor Weaver here for a few more minutes. I won't keep him long. And then Bradley will be with you at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, sonsoflibertymedia.com. We'll be back with you in the morning, bright and early, 6 a.m. Lord willing, talk to you then. See ya. Okay, I want to welcome everybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio. And so, Pastor John, I'm just going to hold you over, basically, if I can, for one final question that might be in two parts, and that is this. The South said, we've, we've tried you know, to reason with you guys. You guys continue to be lawless. And you know, if I can put this in terms of it, it, so that people can see what I'm saying, uh, a husband and wife. And the husband's been unfaithful, and every night he's going out and he's with a different woman, and the wife knows it, and she's just been patient, and she's been calling him to repentance, and he won't repent. 
And she just says, finally, I've had enough. Kind of like what God was with Israel. I've had enough of you. I'm giving you a writ of divorce. I'm separating myself from you. This is what the South was trying to do at the time. And, you know, I want to ask, what are the people to do here in the States? Uh, are they just continue to suffer the abuse and say, will you repent? Will you repent? Will you repent? I mean, did they endlessly do that when there's no repentance? Or are they to to make a break and, as the Bible says, to come out of her? Uh, and, you know, if they want to continue on in their sins, let God send those plagues uh, and curses upon them and us come back and us do our own repenting and receive the blessings of God again. Well, what would you say to that? Well, I would say... If the state is not going to secede, then the individual must secede to the best of his ability and to the extent of his ability. Secession is not revolution. Secession does not seek to overthrow a government. That's right. Secession That's right. is just simply a withdrawal to begin a new government. And the most basic government is self-government. If you're not going to take care of yourself, if you're not going to govern yourself, if you're not going to prepare to take care of yourself, uh, then you don't have any idea what government is all about anyhow. So self-government is first. And I think next you would have to have family government, and then next you would have to have ecclesiastical government, then state government, and finally, lastly, federal government. It, it comes last. But uh, if you do not have the right or the freedom to leave, then you're a slave. That's all there is to That's it. That's exactly right. So without the right of secession, there is no freedom. The alternative to secession is nothing but coercion. So I could take two uh, male cats and tie their tails together and throw them over a clothesline, and you have union, but you certainly do not have unity yep. because they're going to be fighting left and right. So... Uh, you know, a forced union, a coerced union, is not freedom, it is not liberty, and it certainly is not unity. And so I believe that you must be, uh, first of all, responsible enough to take care of yourself and your family, and then from there you can go forward. But if you don't, if you don't, <laughs> if you don't take care of yourself, I can assure you, the government is not going to do so because you will be considered expendable. Yep, that's exactly right. I've often used that same terminology because my dad used to tell me that, the, about the two tomcats who tie their tails together. And I've used that same yep. thing to speak about kind of where we're at right now. You can see that the people are unhappy. Uh, boy, you want to sure. talk about slavery, we're in it. Uh, you were making mention of who yep. we really work for when we're doing all this stuff. And I, it's amazing to me that people can't seem to grasp that concept that they are a slave. They keep wanting to promote. They're, they're like uh, they're like the Pharisees of the day when Jesus told them about their slavery. And they go, who are you talking about as enslaved, man? We, we're free here. And they were under the yeah. boot of the Romans. And so it, it's like you're trying to help them understand how much they've been enslaved. And I would I would submit, and I think you would agree, I don't want to put words in your mouth, that that's been since since following the time of Lincoln 
that all of that was, you know, we, we not only call it the War of Northern Aggression, but the war to enslave the states. And that's exactly what they accomplished in uh, in what they did. So with that said, thank you for staying a little bit over. I want to give you the final word. Maybe you got a word of exhortation to the people from just some of the things that we've talked about. I want to give you the final word to do that, and then we'll close out the show. Well, the final word I would say is you better be preparing, and you better be able to take care of yourself. And when I say that, I mean not only spiritually, but I mean physically, and I also mean emotionally, mentally. <laughs> and uh, you should be able to protect yourself with self-defense, and uh, you just should know all of these things because when everything goes down and everything fails, you are responsible for yourself and your family and no one else. Amen. 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 Good words. Pastor John Weaver, we appreciate you spending time with us this morning. And uh, Lord bless the work that you're doing down there in Georgia. Uh, people. He also does some training, some handgun training, some tactical training and things of that nature. So if you're interested in that, uh, you can get in touch with him and he opens up his home to you and uh, and teaches you not only those things, but he teaches you the word of God in the process of it. So be sure to check out uh, Pastor John there. Catch Bradley at three. He'll be with you then. SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. And then Lord willing, we're going to be back with you in the morning, 6 a.m. Talk to you then. See ya.